2: Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101
3: ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome into Balloon Party, driven by Monk and Ass St. Louis Acura on 101 ESPN. Timothy Michael McKernan, Axon Jackson with you. Uh, Jackson, a very special edition of the show today, as uh, well, I'm doing it from my home because I am ill and uh, did not want to miss the shows, TMA and Balloon Party. Did TMA, but we had a number of issues with the connection, and seeing as TMA has five people on it, uh, we were able to navigate it, albeit not uh, optimally. But with this particular program, if I were to disconnect, um, we thought it would be best, and by we I mean me and you, that we don't put you in a spot where it becomes NBA All-Star recap for an hour and 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 the, and the best way to go about doing that is to have me do at least the first segment on the phone is that an accurate synopsis or is there an update that that I have left out
0: uh no tim that is exactly accurate and as i'm always prepared to do a uh, breakdown of the NBA All-Star game mac mcclung's uh rise to dunk contest champion or the Elam ending. uh, I think it'd be better for the one-on-one listeners if we, you know, cover more of the blues, maybe a little bit of uh, the battle Hawks. And so uh, we do want to make sure that you are, you are on the the phone for the first segment, but I'm working on getting you on to one of our, our many different options. So that sounds a little bit better. I'm working on it.
3: Okay. Well, that sounds like a plan. Jeremy Rutherford is going to join us coming up in the next segment. So I can't wait to talk it over. I, I talk with Jr. on the phone, just me and him privately about what's going on. I cannot wait to talk with Jeremy Rutherford. It's perfect timing that he is with us. Um, and so uh, he will be with us coming up in the next segment. Looking forward to talking over with him. I'm sure plenty of people uh, have questions or comments uh, for Jr. following the Ryan O'Reilly trade, the weekend that was with the Blues. So. Uh, plenty of that is coming up here in the next segment, and perhaps I'll be back on the uh, normal-sounding remote hookup. Uh, so apologies for that. I'm sick. Uh, and for even more full transparency, Jackson, I'm getting a colonoscopy on Wednesday, so I already know I'm out on Wednesday, and I'm trying to minimize the time I miss hosting two different shows and a podcast. No doubt. So that's 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 the reasoning for it. I, I realize some people couldn't care any less but some people do want to know that kind of stuff and so there it is that's not necessarily colonoscopy but the reason for things and so there is the reason for things and i have been sick since friday and so i don't want to get my coworkers ill because whatever i have is an m effort, and it's brutal so anyway that's why i'm at home jackson i know you have a weekend wrap-up titled something with alliteration that involves little piddles and mm-hmm. then a possessive And I am ready for it.
0: All right, beautiful. Well, let's start off with, uh, I think, the question that everyone is wondering. What were your thoughts on the Ryan O'Reilly trade, your knee-jerk reaction, the return for him, just your general thoughts on what happened uh, with the captain moving on?
3: I love it. I love it. I love that the Blues are doing this. Now, I want to make it clear. I love that they're taking action when – It just isn't going to happen, and you have unrestricted free agents. But what I can't wait to talk with Jeremy Rutherford about is what is the plan? Because unlike some teams that would be in this spot, the Blues still have a bunch of dollars committed to defensemen. They just allocated huge dollars to two young forwards. Uh, You have a goaltender who is somebody you allocated a big contract to, and he's in the midst of that. Uh, this, is, this is not a roster that is fluid and in a cap-friendly spot to just go, okay, well, now we'll do this and then we'll restore, or we'll just do this and then we'll rebuild. So I don't know if Doug Armstrong's planning on using the draft picks as capital to acquire players uh, this offseason to expedite the process or if this is going to go a full-on rebuild. And I, I think we're going to learn quite a bit between now and March 3rd because people expected Tarasenko, go, expected Ryan O'Reilly to go, and expected Barbashev to go. Um, and that will most likely be happening here over the next couple of weeks. But what if Colton Pareko were to go? That may indicate the direction that Doug Armstrong plans to go. And I, I'll be honest, and, I, and this isn't said as a shot, I just think he might not necessarily know what direction they're going to go because if the offers are good enough to take some of these players who were not considered initially to be obvious trade candidates away, that may dictate the direction they go after March 3rd and after this regular season. Uh, So I just like bailing. I like bailing when Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. And that is that, that's what I feel strongly about. So I appreciate a clear direction. And that's why I, I think I'm thinking about it in the context of the Cardinals in 2016, 2017, and 2018. And I feel like the lack of a commitment one way or the other in those three seasons set the stage for what have been, yes, I realize seasons that have been in the postseason, but going to the postseason in baseball doesn't mean what it meant, you know, 25 years ago. So. Right. Um i i like the blues making this move so i, I realize emo, from an emotional standpoint it might not be popular but for the long term let's get it back in in the right direction you got to do things like this so i respect it and i
0: like it yeah and uh, now you kind of answered my second question about like where do you think to f- what, do you, what is the future like what where do you go from here and uh, you, you you put that into your uh, response on that one. So I'll move on to the third question. What was your reaction to the Battle Hawks games? Do you think this game will have any bearings in the excitement level for the first home game? Uh, the rules. Do you think that was a g- good element of it? Broadcast. All the things. What were your thoughts on the first Battle Hawks game since the return from 2020?
3: I think what wound up happening was the absolute optimal set of circumstances. For the Battle Hawks, and I say that because of this, it it entered this weekend with very little visibility for most casual fans. I think most people had no idea it was starting up because it wasn't, you know, wasn't in St. Louis. It certainly hasn't had the publicity and the marketing that it had three years ago. And so then I would gather that people are sitting around, and it's not like there's a bunch of stuff to choose from this past weekend sports-wise on a Sunday afternoon and going, oh, the Battle Hawks are on. And if you're on social media, you might see some people talking about it. So you tune in, and if you catch any of the first half, you go, oh, my God, they have 50 yards of offense. What is this just garbage? Mm -hmm. And then perhaps you stick around or you just flip back and forth, you see some excitement about it. And they turn the final 90 seconds of a game that looks like there's no way. I mean, Ninety If you're down 15-3 to with 90 seconds left in the NFL, my God, you could probably bet somebody and be about plus 5,000 yeah, uh, to come back and win a game. I realize the rules change that in the XFL. I like the 4th and 15 move. I think it's something the NFL could adopt, and yeah. that's why they're utilizing it here. So it what it did was it got people talking. They won, which got people buzzing. And the manner with which they won was exciting, even if you really have zero vested interest in what they do as a minor league football team. And so what that can do is give you some momentum, both as a team and then also as far as marketing for the fans when they do come back to St. Louis for their opener in a few weeks. So it was it was, the fact that they won the way that they won, I think was the perfect set of circumstances considering the differences between the 2020 version and the 2023 version. I still don't think it's going to capture people like it did in 2020, but what happened yesterday gives it a hell of a lot better chance than if that thing would have been, I mean, if they would have lost that thing 15 to three, it's a blip on the St. Louis sports radar this morning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree on that. And another thing from a broadcast standpoint, I just love, that they go to a replay, the ref is talking with, at this it was Dean Blandino, but the command center, and they can talk and you can hear what they're talking about. And the command center has the rights, because they have all the angles. So we don't have to deal with what the refs think and then what command center thinks. It was a lot more streamlined, and I really appreciated that. So I think that I agree with you. I think the excitement is much better now. Uh, the Tigers are in a bad way following a home loss to Texas A&M. How do you think Dennis Gates regroups his guys to take on the somewhat favorable rest of the schedule into the SEC tournament?
3: Yeah, I think there's, a, there, there's an element of this. You know, I told you, I know you're, I mean, I'm a Missouri fan as well, mm-hmm. but your Missouri basketball love is, you know, infinitely more intense than mine. And on Friday I said on the show, I'm not concerned. There's the psychology element of it. You have a bad loss, you bounce back. And for the first time this year, I felt like they had, a, you know, a, a game where you go, God, they didn't bounce back. Um, and Texas A&M plays that style, mm-hmm. grinds it down. Missouri, obviously more of an up-tempo team. But I think perhaps there's, there's a bigger lesson on this, and that is that Texas A&M is a, is a good team oh, yeah. that, that is not necessarily getting the appreciation it should get for how good they have been this year. I think if a team like, uh, that had the name Kentucky, or even Auburn for that matter, had the resume that Texas A&M had, there's no way Texas A&M would have gone into that game as a projected nine seed. I mean, they're what, a, they're a half game or a game back of Alabama? In yeah, the SEC they are. Standings. They're,
0: they're very close. The They have two quad four losses in the non-conference, and that really hurts them. So,
3: so I just, I, I think that that might be my biggest takeaway. I mean, talking Texas A&M basketball and St. Louis sports radio, I think I've already exceeded my limit for the calendar year in the last two minutes. But <laughs> but that that's my biggest takeaway, and uh, I'm still, I still was, I just am not real concerned about Missouri. You're going to have bad games, but in this case, they played two good teams. Keep in mind, nine days ago, they won in Knoxville, Tennessee. against the number six team in the country who then four days later, three days later, beat the number one team in the country. Yeah. So I just, I have a bigger picture perspective on some of these things. Might not be good for sports talk radio, but it's going to
0: be honest. So that's,
3: that is my honest opinion, Jackson, which yeah. you might like,
0: I guess, since it's pro Missouri. Yeah. You know, I, I try to look through the picture, but I, I I was honestly sick to my stomach. Are you Saturday Are you desponded? Saturday I was in a bad place. I I, I looked. Oh no! At the, I was just looking at the score. It just it actually does really hurt my mood. But I'm trying to get over that. I'm trying to. That's fine. Uh, hey,
3: I, you know what? I remember those days too, when a Cardinal regular season loss in April would affect my mood. Yeah. And you know what? There there's something to be said for the pureness of uh, yeah yeah of, of sport affecting it, your mood. It like
0: keeps you yeah. alive. You know, sometimes you got to cool. feel. Like, you're almost dying to feel alive again. And so, you know, I'm not going to be uh, upset about it. All right, final question. Uh, and it's not really— it's a real
3: aphrodisiac for, for 24-year-old ladies. I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. Put that on top of the hair follicle situation. I'm the total package. Uh, final question here. I've seen this floating around social media, and what is your opinion? Do you think the NFL could make the Super Bowl a pay-per-view event, charge anywhere from 25 to 75 bucks? Would that money made on that be more similar to what they get from ad space currently?
3: Um, no, I do not think so. But here's the honest answer. Uh, I don't know exactly what they bring in when it comes to the advertising revenue. And then I would then, you know, just apply the math and try to see where we would go on that. But I think people would still get it. I think what it would do would recreate the uh, the event that was the Super Bowl party, which is dwindled because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So people would get together and then chop up the 75 bucks or whatever amongst the people at the party. So that would be great from a socialization standpoint, but from an NFL bottom line standpoint, I don't think that that would would be the move. So I agree that people would still pay for it, but I just can't imagine it would lead to more dollars than the current model.
0: Yeah, that's just well, kind of how I was thinking because I agreed because the Super Bowl party, if ever, you know, if you got eight, ten people at Super Bowl party, everyone can pay seven bucks to watch the Super Bowl. But I just don't know how much that would offset because, I mean, you have 113 million people watching one event. I assume the commercial space is going to be quite expensive. So I just don't know how those numbers work out. But I just thought it was an interesting, interesting idea.
3: Yeah, I saw, I think it was John Skipper talking yeah, about that, the that's former right. head of ESPN. Yeah. Uh,
0: All right. The Little Piddles Weekend Wrap-Up is in the books. Jeremy
3: Rutherford is coming up next. Send your texts in, the Air comfort service text line uh, to uh, us, and we will uh, get as much as we can in with JR as we're talking. Kind of a uh, state of the blues, the first show back after the Ryan O'Reilly trade. I cannot wait to hear his perspective. Uh, That is coming up in the very next segment. You are listening to Balloon Party on 101 ESPN.
2: We are right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN.
3: Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Welcome back. It's balloon. from uh, the world headquarters that is my home and uh, Action Jackson is at uh, the studio and Jeremy Rutherford is at his home in uh, Huntley. Uh, good morning, JR.
1: <laughs> good morning. Actually, I'm at a gas station on my way home from uh, Cincinnati. we were out of town for a hockey tournament this weekend, so we pull over to talk to you. So it's uh, good to hear your voice and it sounds like you're battling, but you're a, uh, you're a hockey player fighting through this.
0: That's exactly
3: right. I think if there's one thing I'm known for, it's being a uh, a battler. I can't wait to talk, man, for real. Like, like I would just BS with you even if we weren't doing the show to get your perspective on uh, what has transpired, and really not just with the trade, but then the performances. Uh, in particular yesterday's, Uh, that certainly adds to the weekend that was for the Blues and and those uh, fans who are, you know, understandably disappointed by everything that has transpired this year. Personally, I like what Doug Armstrong is doing, and I'm I'm anxious to talk about what you think the big picture plan is, but let's start with what transpired on Friday. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly heading to the Leafs. Uh, what can you tell us as far as behind the scenes went on between O'Reilly and Armstrong and uh, and the eventual move?
1: Yeah, Tim, had a chance to talk to a few people over the weekend after the trade uh, was made on Friday, and obviously we've been looking for the Blues to make some big deals heading into the deadline. Probably didn't think that Tarasenko and O'Reilly would be done by now, but Doug Armstrong has found the packages that he wants. And you look at it, you look at this one in particular, it's a lot of draft picks coming back this way, a lot of good quality picks, and And so Achari goes in the deal as well. But I think if you look at the work Doug Armstrong's done so far, moving his two big stars and getting this uh, group of uh, draft picks, he's going to have a lot of options moving forward, and we'll talk about that. Uh, But he's going to be able to do a number of things that he would not have been able to do had he not made this uh, decision that I think is a real good one. And therefore, it it
3: seems like the next logical, obvious move is that Barbashev uh, goes uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks is—is is that what your understanding is logically?
1: Yeah, I think so. Doug Armstrong made the point uh, in his in his conference that he said that uh, people around the league know what his intentions were. They've known for a long time. You know, when we get back to Ryan O'Reilly, yeah, I, there was talk about a contract. Ryan O'Reilly said that himself uh, a couple weeks ago i don't think that went very far i think there was contract offer contract negotiations i don't think they were anything really close to what ryan o'reilly was hoping they could work out thus the trade so uh, i think that now you're at a point where ivan Barbashev is going to be next on the list and what i heard in making these phone calls over the weekend for the ryan o'reilly story is that doug armstrong is asking for a first round draft pick for ivan Barbashev. And if you look at it logically, perhaps that's the reason this deal is not done yet, uh, because teams maybe, if they're going to jump on Barbashev, aren't ready to part with that first one. Maybe they wait and see if Doug Armstrong comes down on that. But, wow, if he could get a first-rounder for Ivan Barbashev already with the three first-rounders, you're really going to have a lot of wiggle room to either move up in the draft or try to acquire an established player. And that's the thing that I think we need to focus on here. What is Doug Armstrong going to do with this roster, Tim? He's got a situation where if he wanted to package some of these picks – they could try to alter this roster find established players he made the comment he wants to find some players in that age 24 25 26 range to grow with this core
3: right and that's the that to me is is really where I want to focus our conversation I know a lot of listeners have uh, questions and comments for you and you can text them into the air comfort service text line three one four three nine 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 six four six we'll try to get to as many as we uh, as we can the blues are not in a standard rebuild spot because of the dollars committed to so many defensemen. And of course the deals for Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, Jordan Binnington. I mean, this is not a, a roster that's just ready made to just go a hundred percent young. And so, you know, as you made reference to Doug Armstrong talked about what they are seeking. My question is, do they now look at the possibility of moving a player or players who are not the obvious names that we've been talking about for a couple of months, the, the names such as O'Reilly, Tarasenko, and Barbashev. Uh, Pareko's name has popped up, and, and not just in your inbox this time. The, these are now conversations about the possibility of him being on the move. Is there any chance that some of the names of uh, non-UFAs could be on the move here in the next couple of weeks?
1: I do, and I don't know that it can come together in the next couple of weeks before this trade deadline. But that doesn't mean that it can't come together before the start of next season. In fact, Doug Armstrong said on the call that uh, he'll have a better feel for where things are headed in, in August when he's able to get through, you know, kind of the, the draft and a lot of big trades are made at that point. I can tell you this, and it's it's you got to be careful when you you per- report things because a lot of this stuff that you hear on the phone, you know, maybe it's not from uh, a, a source that's right there in the middle of it, but people that are close to the situation, people who are involved in, in uh, situations with the Blues players, and they said that uh, they get the impression that Doug really wants to, maybe not blow it up, but make big changes, make big changes to this roster. Uh, you got the foundation with a, with a Jordan Cairo, a Robert Thomas, uh, but with those long-term contracts for those other guys that you mentioned, it's going to be tough to do something. So now with this draft capital, you know, can you make a package to bring in a guy uh, we talked about the name Jacob Chicken. You got the guy Timu Meyer out there, San Jose. Those are types of names that would uh, make this roster look a lot different than it does right now. So I think if you look at what Doug Armstrong's done, he's kind of set himself up for the potential for that move. And I think you hit it in the last segment. He doesn't know what's possible right now. He's just laying the groundwork to pull off that type of move mm-hmm. if it is available.
3: Alright, I want to read some uh, questions from the listeners. We promised that we would do that, and let's get as many as we can. Can this team get bad enough fast enough to contend for a top-five pick? <laughs> Worst case is you end up with uh, inconsistent mediocrity like Philadelphia or Vancouver. That is from the 618.
1: JR, what do you got? Well, you look at yesterday, they're off to a pretty good start on that. Right? 7-2 <laughs> lost uh, to Ottawa. So, yeah, right now, what are they, uh, they, if the draft were today, they'd be picking ninth or so. Uh, if you can climb in that top five if 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 you have a chance uh, to win the draft lottery Uh, but that seems like an outside chance so you know can they get bad enough fast enough Uh, that's what people are hoping to to get in those counter-bedard sweepstakes Uh, but i think either way even if you don't you're going to get a quality player there and now you got three first rounders and we have a piece up at the athletic today where we talked to Corey prime and our draft expert and uh, he likes some players later in that first round and he also talks about the possibility of packaging a couple of those picks how high could you get up he feels that you can't get into that top three or four, but after there, there's kind of a barrier there, but you could you could sneak up in the top five or six. So, uh, again, it's nice to think about the types of players you could get with these picks, but I don't think it fits with where this team is at. They really need to make a move to be able to be competitive to make it quicker than what a, a full rebuild would be. Uh, from the 314, four,
3: Jr. what do you think the probability of Ryan O'Reilly coming back after the season is
2: over?
1: I think there's a better chance than I initially thought. Uh, And there's a lot of time between now and then and when that decision needs to be made. But you and I talked about that a few months ago. You asked me. I I felt like if they moved on from Ryan O'Reilly, that that would probably be the direction they would go if they couldn't work something out. Obviously, it was a huge package. You couldn't pass it up. Doug Armstrong had to make this move. But in doing my due diligence and talking to some people over the weekend, I was told that Ryan O'Reilly would have St. Louis at the top of his list in terms of coming back. Uh, if that was the situation that was presented but from both sides ryan's side look he's going to a great place they have a chance to win maybe even win a stanley cup and doug armstrong what's he going to accomplish between now and and when free agency opens? so things could change but i think there's more of a chance than i would have given it a few months ago
3: from the 314 how will we fit those players under the cap we're still cap strapped even trading the players we have. again, we have no cap space to add those kinds of players. that's
1: from the three one four. Yeah, the cap is definitely going to be an issue in, in any names that we talk about. Uh, but uh, you know if, if you're the blues and you're Doug Armstrong and going by the things that I'm hearing, you know he's not going to bring back next year the roster that looks and really close to this one. I think he's going to try to do something and then the draft picks again, it's nice, but they're not going to be ready for two three years unless you get into that top three or four. So I think this is a situation where Doug Armstrong is going to have to find a way to either move some money in these deals and maybe he'll have to include the draft pick as the juice to make the deal go through. Uh, but I think the Blues are in a situation where they're going to have to do something. It's not as easy to move money as it used to be. Doug said that before, and he's right. You know, you hear GMs talk all the time about how tough it is these days to move the money. So you can't just say that he's going to get it done. He's going to have to you know, stay on the phone and, and continue to explore his options. Uh, but that's going to be a a major hurdle to get that done.
0: What
3: uh, has the response been from fans who have either tweeted at you or commented under your articles or emailed you, whatever the case might be? What kind of approval rating
1: uh, did the O'Reilly deal get? Really positive, really positive. In fact, I can't even think one off the top of my head that uh, was negative of the deals that were made. And I think Uh, It kind of speaks to when these deals were made so much in advance. You know, these are the types of deals where Doug Armstrong knew that he couldn't wait any longer and get a better deal down the road. This was going to be the the best he could get, and he was right. And you add up all these picks, uh, Tim, the Blues in the next two summers, just the next two summers, we're talking the first three rounds of the draft, they have 10 picks uh, with the potential of 10. So he's done some good work here, but the reaction's been great. I think that everybody kind of said what we all assume is that it's tough to see guys like Tarasenko and O'Reilly go in this situation and maybe Barbashev soon, but he's doing, the, he's doing the right thing, and uh, all reports A-plus on the packages coming back. I like to hear that. I, I, I share
3: that opinion, and I'm glad that fans see uh, the big picture on that, and that's really good to hear. I'm su- I'm really surprised that it's been uh, damn near unanimous. All right, I'll go with the final one because I've heard a few people talk about this. We talked a little bit about it on TMA. Uh, if the Blues – and whether or not it has any shred of reality to it, so I'm curious what your answer is, JR. If the Blues end up with four first-round picks and a team besides Chicago gets the number one pick – do you think Army would package all four picks in either Cairo or Thomas for essentially Connor Bedard? This is fun. I, with this is like going to trade proposal bat crap <laughs> land. But I love this kind of thing, so I want to ask it.
1: Well, I think he would do that for sure, and I don't think it would be accepted. That's how crazy a uh, good this player is, Connor Bedard. He's a franchise, uh, obviously, player, and and he's a uh, generational talent. So. He's a guy who, yeah, they're probably going to get some offers, and that would be a monster offer. Uh, but I go back to uh, when Patrick Kane was drafted number one overall. The Blues had three first-round draft picks that year. I was told that uh, they tried to make a trade for that number one pick. I wrote a story about it, and the Blackhawks said no. And, and I believe that they were trying to, to trade all three of those first-round picks. So you see what kind of player that uh, Patrick Kane turned out to be, and that's why teams don't trade those guys. It's nice to have picks in the 20s, 5, but those top one or two or three guys, they'll have careers like Patrick Kane has had, and everybody thinks that uh, Connor Bedard could be even better than that. So uh, I don't think that uh, a team would make that trade, even if that uh, was presented to them by the Blues. How
3: about that? That speaks volumes about the perception of Connor Bedard. man. So you think the Blues would, would actually consider making that move and it would
1: get shot down? I think you have to, and and maybe, you know, when you start thinking about four first round picks, you know, I wouldn't want Doug Armstrong listening and saying, I'm not trading four first round picks, but I think it'd be pretty, you'd have to consider it. You really would. I mean, if you look at some of the the picks that have been made, you know, in the latter first round, early second round, and let's keep in mind these are going to be high picks if these teams like uh, the New York Rangers and like Toronto uh, finish as well as you expect them to, they're going to be late in that first round. So, So, you know, three, four picks, it's a lot. But I think the Blues would do it if the team on the receiving end, whether it be Columbus, Chicago, whoever, would make that trade.
3: There you go. Jeremy Rutherford giving us his perspective on an incredible weekend uh, in developments for the Blues. And I would imagine there is more to come between now and March 3rd. You can follow JR, of course, on Twitter. Read him on The Athletic and hear him every day here on 101 ESPN, even when he is driving back from Cincinnati. What a gentleman what a champion jr everybody here is super proud of you you can talk about my grit but let's talk about you you're
1: you're what side side of the road from Southern Ohio? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm just glad that you didn't get disconnected, and it was suddenly the Piddles and Puddles NBA (laughs) show. uh...
3: I got to tell you, here's some behind the scenes for you. And Jackson, I don't know if you know, because Jackson has been dreading this hour ever since he found out that we were having connection issues. I was disconnected for about seven seconds during our conversation, (laughs) and I came back, and I didn't hear anything. And I go, God, Jackson is frozen in his (laughs) tracks, and JR doesn't know what's going on, and there's dead air on 101 ES spn but instead it was just a little delay and you were wrapping up your point and without us ever talking about it no one would have ever known how about that magic of broadcast that's great
0: that makes my stomach hurt but you
1: know
3: Uh, jr we appreciate it man thanks so much and safe travels all
0: right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Jerry. All
3: right, there he is. Great Jeremy Rutherford with us here. Your thoughts on what he had to say? Please feel free to text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 314-399-9646. We'll carry the discussion over into our next segment. This is Balloon Party, driven by Monk and S. St. Louis Acura on 101
0: ESPN. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
2: Right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101
3: ESPN. party here on 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan.
0: Hello. Sorry folks we're just having some technical issues here on Bloom Party. You can text on in though. Uh, we will get that squared away in just a moment. 399 three nine nine9646 and uh, we'll get Tim here I'm back. <laughs> How did it go? Uh, I did a soft
3: reset. Uh, you can never go wrong with a soft reset. I apologize. I have oh, no yeah. idea what to say about the software. We've just had some issues. We'll battle through it. Anyway, uh, I, my question, I don't know if you heard it, was uh, what's anything from JR stand out to you? Uh, what stood out to me was how he said almost all of the feedback he has gotten has been positive on the O'Reilly trade. I would have never thought that. I agree with that. I agree with the feedback of the fans. Mm-hmm. But But I'm surprised that it's been uh, damn near unanimous.
0: Yeah, I guess that part uh, interests me because I think that uh, I'm glad that fans are looking at this more of a big picture. And I think also the possibility of him coming back next season, that very much interests me. Uh, I think that would be wonderful. And I think that a lot of people, I don't know, are planning on it, but are really hoping that uh, that is the case.
3: Uh, I got this from a compadre of mine uh, who listens to the program, uh, and he texted me after listening to the JR interview. said, this is going to be such a fascinating period in Blues history. Whether it's just this summer or the next couple of years, it's much more intriguing than the previous rebuild. Maybe it's the pe- pieces they already have. Maybe it's having Doug Armstrong as GM. Maybe it's because they won a cup recently, so there's a little more confidence, but it's more interesting. I agree. I think that this is, this would be, we were talking on TMA about that uh, Netflix full swing golf show. I would huh? love for a behind the scenes. I know they can't do it with just the Blues uh, because a lot of this is on the business side and not the ice side, but you have such a spot here. And by a spot, I mean you can't full on rebuild because of the deals you are already under contract to. And there isn't, as we were talking with Jr., enough cap space to go, OK, well, we'll take those draft picks and make this team a contender uh, quickly in 2023, 2024. At least that's not what logic would dictate. So you have an organization that, oh, I guess about nine months ago was tied in game six against the eventual Stanley Cup winners, who is in this spot going, holy crap, what direction are we going to go? Now, I like that they made a choice because, again, as I said in our opening segment, uh, I feel like that is that, that lack of decision making on the part of the Cardinals in 16, 17, and 18 gave birth to, don't get me wrong, postseason appearances in 1920, 21, and 22, but perhaps kept them from having some uh, draft capital or some prospects that would have potentially been used to acquire players to really help those teams that were postseason contenders in 19, 20, 21 and 22 um, by just kind of being stagnant at the deadline in 16, 17 and 18. I like the Blues making these kind of moves at the same time when you're talking about unrestricted free agents. What other direction do you go? But I like that the Blues fan base is going. Yeah, it had to be done. So it's tough to see these popular players go. But I like the moves that are being made. It also, I think, speaks to the confidence people have in Doug Armstrong. Yeah. Um. That that's another element of this. But you ask a question, and I want to I want to talk about this in the final segment of today's show, um, and perhaps some of uh, the listeners will engage as well. And I'll set it up here, and then we'll take a break and and come back and address it. When getting an overview on the Blues over the last five seasons, you start with the triumph and unbeatable thrill of lifting the Stanley Cup. Fast forward a few years and reminisce of that magical team is all but gone, with now Tarasenko and O'Reilly no longer on the club. From a Blues fan perspective, what do you think is the most frustrating part of this journey? Uh, And you present a couple of different uh, scenarios. I know what my answer is, but I'll also talk about uh, what went on in between June of 2019 to the point where the Conn Smythe winner was traded to Toronto. That is coming up in our final segment. This is Balloon Party driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acura on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Welcome back Thank you to the segment of Party, here by St. Louis back. You're here on 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan working remotely due to illness. Action Jackson in the studio. And uh, Jeremy Rutherford, our guest. You can go back and podcast the show, Dobbs Tire and Auto Center's podcast, via 101ESPN.com or the 101 ESPN app. Final segment question posed here. And I'm curious what the audience has to say about this one. Getting an overview. On the Blues, over the last five seasons, you start with the triumph and unbeatable thrill of lifting the Stanley Cup. Fast forward a few years, and uh, you're not reminiscing on a magical team. It's all but gone now with Tarasenko and O'Reilly no longer on the club. From a Blues fan perspective, what do you think is the most frustrating part of this five-year journey? I think, once I say it, or perhaps before I say it, most Blues fans would have this answer, and that is the team's title defense mm-hmm. being, I, can't, I don't know if cut short is the right way to phrase it because they got it, but they didn't really get it. They were playing so well, and then COVID happened, the season shuts down, and whatever happened, the bubble was kind of a, you know, nothing slash different game, and seven months later, uh, I guess five months later, either way, it was just not the same thing. And so that was a team that was firing on close to all cylinders, and that season was cut short. It's nobody's fault. It's the way that it played out. But I would be curious if you were to be able to go back and have that season play out. And even if the team didn't win a cup, but go on another deep run conference finals or beyond, um, what winds up transpiring one way or the other, I don't know, but that altered this group's, um, potential and, there's nobody really to point a finger at on it it's just unfortunate that it wound up going down that way uh Jackson anything stand out to you
0: yeah I was gonna say just because it, it's not like you know they fell short or got a bad call in the 2020 playoffs as it, if it went normally it was the fact that they didn't get to do it like they had done it the year prior like it it just wasn't the same it wasn't the say you take so much time off you know, variables enter, like, when you do stuff like that. So just the fact that it wasn't necessarily, like, the team's fault that they didn't get a chance to defend the Cup, I think leaves people with, like, a sour taste in their mouth. I think
3: this year has not necessarily been as dramatic because starting with the losing streak, expectations just Went by the wayside, and then all of a sudden you have this huge winning streak to counter it, and you're going, okay, what do we have going on here? But you had an idea that things might not necessarily be what you may have thought going in. And on top of that, before you even get to the losing streak, a lot of fans. So this isn't second-guessing. A lot of fans. I don't know how many times I saw his name uh, over the summer months and then leading into the season opener were really concerned about the Blues not bringing back David Perron. Now, do I think David Perron on the team all of a sudden leads to this team being, you know, a cup contender? I think that would be ridiculous. But it makes you scratch your head and go, well, what what were you thinking? And I think one of the things we spoke of in the previous segment is the confidence in Doug Armstrong. And that is why people are not complaining about the fact that Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly, and most likely Ivan Barbashev, uh, will not be members of the St. Louis Blues when March 3rd rolls around, is because there is a belief in Doug Armstrong, since he played a role in bringing the cup here in 2019, that things will be righted, even though people recognize it'll be a process. But, I'm sure, Doug Armstrong would acknowledge, both publicly and privately, perhaps with a little more detail, that he had some miscalculations this year. And I go back to what I said earlier. You had a team that was seconds away from going to overtime with the eventual Stanley Cup champion in game six of uh, the Western Conference semis. And that team is now in a spot where fans have been talking about potentially tanking for, you know, the first two months of 2023. That is a quick, quick change. And so while it isn't as disappointing as looking back on 2020 and what that team may have been able to do if things played out normally as far as the schedule goes, uh, what transpired this year and what it now sets up for this upcoming trade deadline, this offseason, and what will be uh, pieces added to the foundation of Thomas and Cairo, it's a critical, critical moment. And we've seen some organizations get it right, and we've seen some organizations, and I would say locally, get it wrong. And it is a critical moment for the Blues as to how they handle it and what direction they take. Uh, It's not necessarily what I was looking forward to going into the year, to be paying attention to the trade deadline from a seller standpoint and to essentially be riding off the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, but from a fascination standpoint, standpoint with an off season uh this will be at uh, a near all-time high for blues fans because it is of such great importance time for us to shut it down bk and ferrari will be giving their opinions on what transpired over the weekend coming up next for action jackson i'm tim McKernan. this has been balloon party driven by monganast st louis acura on 101 espn
2: You've been listening to The Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.